looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Jay, thank you for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week. And this week is no exception. And it's a big week. It's a big week. This is episode 40. That's right. Episode 40 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. I'm your host, Jeff Duoskin. So glad to have you back once again. We're doing it for the 40th time. I can't thank you all enough for being here and the emails and the tweets and all the support. Means the world to me. And this episode, it's a great one. So I'm glad you're here again. We have the amazing and hilarious Alonzo Bowden with us. That's right, Alonzo Bowden from Last Comic Standing. You love him. He's a regular on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. He's got a great comedy special out that we're going to talk about. So hilarious. And that's coming up in just a little bit. I do want to thank everyone who's been subscribing and sharing their love for Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show, with all their friends. Can't thank you enough. If you're like, wait a minute, Jeff, I haven't done that. Well, then what are you waiting for? Go to your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, Humbly, Podchaser, any of those places that you listen. Find Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Share it to all your social medias. Say, guys, you can't. You got to listen. You got to listen. This is great. So many amazing interviews. Last week, he had Candy Clark from American Graffiti. Dave Landau's been on from the Anthony Cumia show with Dave Landau. Horace H.B. Sanders, Star Search winner. Carl Gottlieb, screenwriter of Jaws and co-writer of The Jerk. Billy Van Zant, Kelly Maroney, Suze Lanier, Liz Priestley. The list goes on and on. So many great interviews. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it. And I do want to thank everyone for all their support week after week after week of the sponsors. Can't thank you enough. When you support the sponsors, it's just like supporting Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show. The sponsors are who help us keep the lights on week after week. This week's sponsor is Lint Brushes. That's right, Lint Brushes. Take a look at yourself. We know you haven't been out in a while, and those clothes probably need a lint brush. That's right, Lint Brushes. Perfect to remove that unwanted pet hair, dust, sweater fuzz, and other stuff that at this point is completely unrecognizable and you have no idea how it got there. Just hit it up with a lint brush. Enough lint brush action and your clothes will start to look brand new. That's right, lint brushes now with heavy-duty handles and smooth rolling action that you expect from other things that have great smooth rolling action. Look good and don't drop your lint brush at the same time with its super grip handle. Lint brushes, because it's time for you to look good again. We love our lint brush. They sent us a couple to test, and it's great. We pulled a, a sweatshirt out of the closet, and I it had so much cat hair on it. I, I hit it up with the lint brush. It took it all off. The lint brush had so much cat hair on it, though, you thought the cat had come back to life, which it, it didn't. It didn't, and the kids were a little upset about that. But anyway, but the point was the lint brush worked amazing. Everyone, stop what you're doing. Go get a lint brush before you get out there again Just and be safe. I do want to remind everyone that every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern is Crossing the Streams. That's our live show that we do. That's every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on our YouTube channel. Search for Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show on YouTube or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jeff is funny. Follow those and you'll be alerted every time we go live. We talk about some amazing TV shows that you should be streaming. Get it? Crossing the Streams, TV shows you should be streaming. And we have great guests every week. So check that out. I also want to kind of point out another show, another live show that's happening every week that just started. It's called Ending the Stigma, A Path to Recovery. It's from friends of mine, Fred Carroll and Scott H. Silverman. He's a crisis coach, and they're helping people solve life issues and giving them a path to recovery. Follow them on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can find them. If you need any support or help at all, that's another live show where you can go and get some help. So lots of helpful stuff for you right there. Check those out. And now it's time for the social media tip. This is the fun part of the show where I share a social media tip. So make sure you're aware of some of the cool stuff going on online, and then you can Google it and learn more about it. I do want to share one quick thing, though, from superfan Jerry. 
And I just retweeted this at Jeff DeWashkin Show. But this is funny. This is a Twitter fun fact. Some of you may or may not know this. But at KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, they only follow 11 accounts. People named Herb and all the Spice Girls. So 11 herbs and spices. So that's pure genius. And thanks for flagging that for me, Jerry. That's It's a great fun fact that the whole world should know. And now I think everyone does. But now to get back to the tip, something that you can actually use on Twitter other than that. Great bit of trivia you can drop at your next party. Twitter just rolled out this new newsletter feature. They bought a company and they integrated it. It's only on desktop. So if you go to your desktop and you click more, there's an option now called newsletters. And so you can go to this newsletter and you can create your entire newsletter. So you don't need like MailChimp or anything like that anymore. You can do everything right in Twitter. You can build the newsletter And then you can distribute it to an email mailing list, but you can also tweet the newsletter and post it and share it to Facebook as well. So you can actually create a newsletter and your subscribers can be your followers, which is great, which is exactly what I wanted it for. But that being said, go to at Jeff DeWaskin show. You'll see my newsletter post. Check it out. Subscribe, because that way I'll, I'll make sure you're aware of stuff that's coming up. And some great past episodes that you may have missed. I know you haven't missed any, but just in case. But it's a cool feature. So if you're looking to get into doing newsletters and reach out to your follower base, this is a great new feature on Twitter. And that's the social media tip. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the show. It's time to hear the conversation that I had with Alonzo Bowden. You're going to love it. And here it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest. You've seen him on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Last Comic Standing, Comedy Central. Ladies and gentlemen, the hilarious Alonzo Bowden. How are you? What's up, Jeff? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, coming to my show. Yeah, well, you know, I'm so busy these days. It's amazing I could squeeze you in between naps, but it's good to be here and... uh... (laughs) I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically, it's been a podcaster's dream in terms of being able to get guests. Everyone's pretty free. So that's nice. It's been nice. But well, thank you. <laughs> I've been a, a fan of yours since I first saw you on Last Comic Standing. As I was kind of uh, digging around, you were, you went to school to be a, you were a jet mechanic. Yeah, first career was aerospace. I went to aviation high school in New York. What's interesting about that, so I, I was graduated I was hired by Lockheed and Burbank, and I went to the Skunk Works Division, which was the top secret aircraft division. And the first thing I worked on was the stealth fighter, the F-117. And at that time, it was totally top secret. Nobody knew about it. We couldn't say anything about it. Well, jump forward about 15 years, and I was doing shows in, where were we at? We were in Kuwait and hopped over to Egypt, and I entertained the pilots and flight crews for that plane. And they were like, how do you know so much about our secret plane? I was like, relax, son, I saw it before you did. So I think I'm the only person who can say that I built the stealth fighter and entertained the pilots. That's quite an achievement. (laughs) What made you kind of... You say, I'm going to I'm gonna give up this jet mechanic life (laughs) and go into comedy. Well, you know, I'm... I did that, like I said, I did that all through the 80s. Another thing that went on in the 80s, and you might not have heard about this, was cocaine was rather popular back in the 80s, which I, let's say, took a liking to. I went to rehab, went into recovery in 88, and then got a job training new people how to fix airplanes and do all of that. And I could always make them laugh. I always had the sense of humor. Well, where I went to recovery was a place called Studio 12. And I like to tell everyone that the stars went to Betty Ford and the crew went to Studio 12. So I, I met the grips and the electricians and the makeup artists and the, all of that. But it was the first time I was around the entertainment industry and they made it very real. So when I said, hey, I, I want to be a comic, they were they were so encouraging. They were like, yeah, you can do it. Like when you're not in the entertainment business, I think the entertainment business seems completely unattainable. At least it did to me. It seemed like some different world. But having met these people who worked in that world and them telling me I could do it, the two came together. I decided to do it. And the other thing was being an instructor, I got in front of the room and I had zero stage fright. I think that's one of the things been lucky in my career. I've never been smart enough to be afraid to go on stage. So I didn't have, the, you know, the big hurdle for most people is public speaking. And I just never had that one. I just something about, something about it's like, yeah, I'm fine. Let's talk. 
I had a similar experience. I was in the uh, in the business world. I've always been in the business world. I was the I was funny. I would do presentations and I would be funny because I wasn't afraid to be in front of people. So I took a class and then did stand up comedy for many years. But once I had that, and I always tell people it's a great thing, even if you don't even become a stand up comic or do improv, it's to be able to get in front of people. It's amazing. And anytime I would do a presentation. They'd be like, don't go after Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. It's a great thing. And it's. Yeah. I have a friend in Vegas and he teaches that comedy class, like teaching comedy to CEOs and corporate people just to make them less dry. I took one of those writing classes also because I didn't know how stand-ups come up with material. But when I got out of that class and did that first five-minute graduation show, I can honestly say I had no doubt that I was going to be a comic. Like there was nothing that ignited the passion. And I was like, I'll do whatever crappy day jobs or whatever else you got to do to pay the bills until comedy pays the bills. Yeah, I loved it then. I still love it now. Once you start doing comedy, it's, it's kind of a high that nobody, you can't, it's hard to explain to someone like just that rush you get and it's hard to walk away from. So yeah, I guess once you got that. So how long were you doing comedy before? What, what would you consider your big break? The Just for Laughs? Well, yeah, my first big break was New Faces at Just for Laughs. I was doing comedy about four years. I got invited to New Faces. I was one of the, uh, I'll say one of the lucky ones, one of the stars, one of the hot ones, whatever you want to call it at New Faces, but I got a deal. And this is something that has since changed. But back then, like, and I think it had to do with also being before the internet. We really were secret. Like they did a good job of keeping our names out of the press until we did our show. And then when you did your show, there was all this excitement over New comics. So for your listeners, getting a deal means that a studio signed me and they gave me a check and kind of took me off the market for a year to try to develop a TV show. Unfortunately, that didn't develop. But the fortunate part was I got a little money and I was able to quit the day job. And that, so that's why I consider that my first big break. Then a few years later, when Last Comic came along, I always consider that my introduction to America. Right. Because that was primetime TV, which is a big one. And suddenly millions of people are seeing you. So that that was good. How long have you been doing comedy when you landed season two of Last Comic Standing? Uh, ten years. Yeah, I had been doing it ten years. And the, the funny thing about that was that was the point in my career when things really started happening because I got picked for season one of Last Comic. But I didn't do it because I also booked my first movie. And we didn't know what Last Comic was at the time. And my managers were like, screw that TV show. You got a movie. That began a long and illustrious career of playing bouncer slash security guard in movies, which I've done numerous times. I was bringing down the house was my first security guard. I was a security guard at the party Queen Latifah was throwing in Steve Martin's backyard. And the cool thing about playing security guards is I'm always protecting the star of the movie. So I meet I meet the stars. That's awesome. <laughs> How was working with Queen Latifah and Steve Martin? Both of them fantastic. Queen Latifah. And this was a funny thing. So I was like, what do I call her? I'm not going to walk up and call her Queen. And I, I found out her name is Dana. So... She said to me, she said, you know, you look familiar, like I've seen you somewhere. And I said, well, I, I do stand up. You might have seen me. She said, yeah, that's probably it. And I just said to her, didn't you make a record? And she just busted out laughing. <laughs> and then for the next two days, I every time I saw her, I was like, what was the name of that song? You did a record, didn't you? So she was... She was very cool about that. And then I did her talk show years later. Steve Martin, very intimidating to meet Steve Martin because he is Steve Martin. And so the setup is we're at guarding the gate going into his backyard. He drives up and I stop him from coming in. Right. They're rehearsing it and he's walking up and there's an extra next to me. And the extra is like, wow, Steve Martin. And Steve just looked at him and said, I'm acting. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, shit, like, okay, serious, like, stay quiet, blah, blah, blah. So lunch or whatever comes along. And somebody said to me, an assistant, where it says, hey, you're a stand-up. You know, you should meet Steve. He loves stand-up comics. So they introduced me to him. And I said, why did you leave? I said, you were the biggest stand-up comic in the world. Why did you stop doing it? He said, eh, you know, I moved on. I do. He said, I still tell jokes. I still host things once in a while. And I was like, really? Like, what do you host? And he looks at me. He said, the Oscars. 
And I said, who books that? And he fell out laughing. He <laughs> fell out laughing when I said that. And, uh, and it was cool. So it was fun meeting them and joking around. I will say this, in watching Steve Martin work, and again, I was only on set for two, three days, but he could do anything funny. It was the most amazing and unique talent. If you told him to go get a toothbrush, he would come up with something funny while walking to get the toothbrush. He was, his scenes were, you, everyone had to hold back to not bust out laughing, you know, and ruin the sound because he's just such a creative, funny guy. It was very cool to meet him. That's awesome. Steve Martin's one of my faves. That's cool. So wait, so since we're diving into your some of your acting stuff, you, you've done a lot with the Power Rangers. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, that was my, so that was my main day job. What happened, I got laid off from my last aerospace job right as I was starting comedy. And I made an agreement with myself to not work on airplanes again because it would have been too easy to make money and I wouldn't have, you know, maybe not put my heart and soul into comedy. So I'm wondering what to do. A friend of mine calls me and he's like, hey, you know how to drive a U-Haul, right? I'm like, yeah. He said, good. It's the same size as a camera truck. Come work for me on this new show, Power Rangers. It's some stupid kid show. I'm stupid. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> so I end up driving the camera truck, right? And the show is is horrible, Jeff. It was the initial, we were watching them make it and we're just like, no one's going to watch this, right? So they did six episodes. As you know, the show starts blowing up. The producer calls me because they liked me around set. And he says, hey, do you want to be the transportation captain? And I said, let me call you right back. And I called my friend. I'm like, what the hell is a transportation captain? He said, you can figure it out. Take the job. <laughs> so I became captain. And that means I'm assisting the boss with, you know, rental trucks and rental cars for scenes and this and that and the other. Right. So after doing that for a couple of years, and it's a perfect job for paying the bills. I don't have to work every day, but I make enough money to cover my lifestyle while I'm pursuing comedy. The producers are very cool. They're like, do your road gig, come back, your job's always here. I, one day I was just getting some snack or coffee or something at the craft service table. And the sound guy's like, whoa, what a voice. Hey, do you want to do monsters? And I was like, you mean as opposed to driving trucks? Uh, yeah. So I started doing the voiceover for various monsters on the show. And then there would be scenes. There was like a beach scene where they needed a lifeguard guy. And I played that. We had another one where they needed someone to drive the fire engine. And it was like, yeah, Alonzo can drive it. And let me tell you something. I developed a new respect for firemen because wearing their suit is like all rubber. And that truck is hard to drive. Sweat is pouring off of me just driving this thing around. I was like, wow, this firefighting business is tough. I'm glad I'm only pretending. <laughs> so I worked with that show for about five years. I knew all of the original Rangers. I had a great time. They were great people. The producers, everybody. We had fun doing that show. I, you know, I met them once at, at Disney World, but, you know, not to name drop. <laughs> well, which ones did you meet? Now, did you meet the original? I don't know. I mean, you know, they were just the fake ones. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, no, because it, it's funny because they became generational, like, which ones did you meet? Right, right, right. Because people talk about that, but yeah, they, they were cool. And they got paid nothing. When that show started, the highest paid person on the crew was a teamster who ran the generator. He got paid more than the actors. The actors started out like, I don't know, like a thousand bucks a week or something like that. Ended up being the number one kids show on the planet. They had to renegotiate. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> one of those shows they just keep reimagining it, rebooting it, bringing it back. All they do, yeah. Just keep bringing in new colors, new rangers, take them to outer space, do this and that. The thing that the, the rangers, no ranger wanted to hear that they were going to the um, international peace treaty or whatever, because that meant you're off the show. Like, nobody ever flew to the interglobal peace treaty and came back. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Power Ranger version of being given a red shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. How was working with David Duchovny on Californication? Again, just, just a very cool guy. Big basketball fan. And when I was doing Californication, it was like, you know, May, June. And so NBA playoffs were going on. So we would end up talking basketball all the time. And the funny thing is when you talk to a star, like when David Duchovny goes to the game, he sits courtside and meets LeBron. And we're like, yeah, we didn't have those seats. We were further up, you know. But the cool thing is a guy like him, he has a sense of humor about that, right? He gets it. So, yeah, we were able to joke about it. 
And the fun thing about doing Californication, my role was to be one of the writers in the writer's room. So it's really, it's kind of what we do anyway, just improvise jokes and throw jokes out for the show. It was a fictional show, but it's the same thing we would do, you know, if we, if you're a writer on a regular TV show. So that was fun. But no, Duchovny, nice guy, great sense of humor, big basketball fan. Uh, that was when the Heat were the hot team. So he, yeah, he was telling us about hanging out courtside, meeting LeBron, and we were like, shut up, movie star. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, the other thing, the other thing about working with Dave Duchovny, I had no idea how much women lose their minds over him. Because to me, he's not that stereotypical, sexy star guy. You know what I mean? Like men, I don't think we recognize what women see in men. Some are obvious, right? Like, you know, Denzel or... Idris Elba or, or, uh, what's the name? The guy who plays Thor, um, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Like you see one of them, you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. But with Duchovny, and this is no disrespect to him. It's just, you wouldn't think it. Jeff, I had more women hitting me up about, can I meet him? Can I come? Can you? It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to give him your phone number. Get the hell out of it. But no, it was, uh, women were, uh, you know, Facebook and, and all of that. It was like, you're working with Dave Duchovny. Oh my God. I was like, okay, enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's funny. That's funny. You, you were on, uh, NPR is way, way, don't tell me. I still am. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't write me off yet, Jeff. You've been, well, you've been on that forever. I was, I was trying to think of it and segue it into a way to make sure it didn't come up that I, I don't listen to NPR, but <laughs> <laughs> I would like to come off like I'm intelligent, but I was like, I haven't been in the car in a while. So I haven't been tuning in. So how is it? Cause a lot of your comedy is, is based on, and you talk a lot about social events and of the day. So that probably prepares you pretty well for that kind of show. Yeah, I love doing social commentary and current events in my stand-up. That came about actually after Last Comic because in doing Last Comic every week and having to do new material, I realized the world was funnier than me. So I started doing more topical and less personal. My my Wait Wait story, this is what's funny to me. I had never heard of Wait Wait, Don't Tell Me. I had no idea what the show was. My agent set it up and they came and some of their producers or one of their producers came and saw me do stand up in Chicago. I was working at the improv in Chicago and they said, wow, he'll be great for the show. So they booked me to do my first show. Now I go down there. All I know is it's a current events panel show. That's all I knew. I know how to do panel shows as a comic. I'm used to doing them with three or four comics, but now I'm working with, I remember Tom Bodette was on my first show. I don't remember who else was, but I was like, well, I got to do is be funny. And that's all I did. And Peter Sagal came up to me at the end. He said, that's one of the best first shows we've ever seen. And I didn't want to tell him it was like, well, that's because I didn't know I was supposed to be nervous, you know. <laughs> and then I found out that it's one of NPR's biggest shows and five million people a week listen. The funny thing about that show, I've been doing it a little over, I think this year be my 11th year. And they have stats, they know. But I didn't realize I'd been doing it that long. But it takes a year before the NPR audience accepts you. And they're like, man, I don't know about this guy. I wasn't in the brochure for the first year. They're like, mm, you still, we still got them on probation. But once they love you, they're all in. And the support, you know, every show I do, they come to shows and stuff like that. It's a very cool world to be a part of. They go pretty deep on that show. I mean, in, I mean, obscure, I mean, in terms of the stuff they're talking about. <laughs> Jeff, there's at least one question every week that I have no idea what they're talking about. Zero. And I've always said that it is more important for me to be funny than to be right. I just don't sometimes, you know, I, I follow the news, but I'm not that deep a news junkie. So they'll ask about, it might be something about some obscure Congress person or something that happened in another country somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, I got no idea. And then you just roll with the funny and get out of it. <laughs> I don't win too often. I, I'm maybe in 10 years, I've won five times. I don't know. <laughs> Let, let's talk about last comic standing. So. Season two, I auditioned for season two. And then they were like, when I was auditioning, they're like, we just booked the last spot, this guy Alonzo Bowden. So they sent me home. Some <laughs> Where did you audition or did you have an agent that got you? LA. LA, okay. The only break we got in the auditions, when I say we, I mean professional comics, 
is we had a specific audition time. We didn't have to wait in line to go up. But we still had to do every step from doing, it starts with two minutes in the afternoon for Mark and Ross, who the two guys, they used to book the Tonight Show at the time. They were the talent guys for the Tonight Show. So you had to do your two minutes for them. And then you did five minutes that night in front of the audience. And then if you made that, they brought us to, I think they brought like 50 of us to New York and we had to do another five minutes. And then 20 of us went to Vegas and you do another five minutes. And then 10 of us, back when we did season two, it was a reality show. So finally, 10 of us went into the house. So those were the preliminary steps you had to go through. So my thing, Jeff, was the show was every Tuesday. And I tell people, just imagine you have a job and you know that every Tuesday someone's getting fired. My whole thing was don't get fired. Don't get fired. And then next thing you know, we're the final three on stage, and we were like, "Well, I didn't get fired." It was quite a uh, cast. Was uh, was Jay Jay Morris still the host? Yeah, Jay was the host. Yeah, actually, Jay was great. So you'll hear all kind of stories about Jay Moore, good, bad, and indifferent. But I've always had a good relationship with Jay. I think because I got him, and he got me, and we had a respect for each other. Jay was like the member of the fraternity, treating us like the pledges. Right. So Jay would give you a bunch of shit and just, I don't know if I can curse on your podcast, but I already have, but he would pick on you and this and that. And if you gave it back to him, he would back off. But if you didn't, then he would continue. You know, it was just his, his thing, but I was cool with Jay. And, you know, he did say one thing that was very true. He said, look, you're about to go on primetime TV. So if you don't triple your income, that's on you. And it really was, like I said, it introduced me to America, which built popularity and grew from there. So that was very cool. But yeah, I've always gotten along with Jay, but he can definitely, he could definitely rub some people the wrong way. So you will hear some stories about Jay Moore that are less than flattering. <laughs> yes, I, I did hear somebody telling me a story. It's almost fistfights and all that kind of stuff. There were, that happened one time, and it was uh, it was actually pretty funny. What what do they say? Don't poke the bear. Uh, Jay poked the bear. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll spill some more tea. What else, what else? What other? <laughs> so you were that that season was Tammy Pescatelli, who I've worked with, and she's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love her. Kathleen Madigan, I got a chance to work with her. She's great. But you also you had uh, Ants was on there. Todd Glass, Jay London, John Heffron, Gary Goldman, Bonnie McFarlane, Corey Holcomb. That's quite a cast. All headliner, all star show. I think the maybe the newest comic was Ant, and Ant Ant was there to stir up the pot, create trouble. Ant liked being the gossip. Ant liked stirring up stuff. It was funny. Like everyone had almost played out certain ways. Todd Glass is insane, and I love that guy. And like I say, we were living in this house, right? We're doing a reality show. Whenever Todd started with, did you ever, we knew something funny was about to happen. Todd was about to say or do something crazy. Corey Holcomb, just cool, funny, talk smack about anything. Corey's favorite thing, what'd I say? What'd I say? After saying something horrible, loved him. Gary Goldman might be the smartest person I've ever met in my life, and not exaggerating. Uh, just a brilliant mind. Heffron is a giant 15-year-old kid. I love that guy. To this day, we're good friends. Tammy's fantastic. Bonnie was cool. Kathleen Madigan, you're talking legendary. You're talking legendary. Kathleen has been so funny for so long and is so good at it. She and I were kind of the grown-ups when we were there because we were a bit older, you know, a few years older than everybody. But love Kathleen. Yeah, just... Just a lot of friends made on the show, even though we were going at each other. Listen, we fought the producers more than we fought each other. In the end, when all the dust settled, friendships that I still have to this day. Love those people. So you made it to the final three, final two, really. What was like the strategy? Was there a strategy you had to kind of do? Like, were there people like were people trying uh, to avoid, say, a Kathleen Madigan so they didn't have to go up against her? So you know, <laughs> <laughs> we had a thing. We had, now I don't know how much time you got, so I'll try to condense this story. What they did on the show is every show you had to say, I know I'm funnier than blank. And you would challenge somebody, right? So I'd be like, I know I'm funnier than Gary Goldman. Gary used to hate me challenging him. 
And I was like, well, it's either you or Kathleen. And considering she's won Female Comic of the Year, has already had an HBO special and 15 Tonight Show appearances, I'm going to challenge you. (laughs) But anyway, so what people would do, Kathleen and I were probably the least challenged. And every now and then, like the way it works. So if say I, I say I say I'm funnier than John Heffron, right? And five other people say that and he gets the most votes. Now he has to perform and he picks one of those people to go against, right? So there were some of us like me and Kathleen, I'd say Corey was in that group too, where people didn't want to go head to head. So they would challenge you knowing you're not going to get the most challenges, you know? So it was kind of a way to try to avoid it. So. That was good, but the bad part was you didn't get featured on the show if you weren't challenged. So we were kind of under the radar until the last, they were getting to the final five and it turned into a three-way challenge between me, Corey, and John. Me and John moved on. Corey, unfortunately, got eliminated, but that was when they highlighted me. And then we went into the final five. And I have to say, again, when we're living in the house, Me and Kathleen are the quietest. We're not getting involved in dramas and this and that and the other. The thing I took as a high compliment was the reviewers of the show, when I did my semifinal thing, said, now we know why people didn't challenge him, which was cool. My strategy, I didn't hold back. I went for it every week because I always said, like some people like, I'm going to save this joke for next round. And I was like, what if I don't make it to next round? What if I go home? knowing I had a great joke in my back pocket. So I would just go all out every week. And uh, and it worked until the finals. And John won. And I knew he won. We wouldn't see each other's sets. You, It was almost you, like you were downstairs in the theater when the other person performed. And you'd come out to their closing applause. And his closing applause was big. And, and what the hell did he do? And I did mine. But that night watching the TV show, I was like, yeah, he got me. He had a great set. <laughs> I have no uh no beef toward him, no no anima. He had a had a great set and he won. I will tell you the worst position in a reality show is second because there's three of us on stage, me, him, and Gary Goldman, right? So they're like the third runner up, Gary Goldman. And everyone claps and thanks, you know, and he leaves. Now there's two of us. And the winner of Last Comic Standing. John Heffron, ah! and then like, oh yeah, Alonzo, thanks, thanks for stopping by. Right, 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 right. Same, same thing when them for Miss America and stuff. They just move around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. When you come in second, you never get your moment because they have to just announce the winner. But it was all good, and then we came back to season three, which is when I had something for him. So what? How much did? What did John win for season two? John won. 50 grand and a uh, development deal with NBC. I don't know what else. I don't know, you know, other than, you know, the title. And I think he went on Ellen and some other, maybe the Tonight Show, something like that. Yeah, that's what, that's what he got. John is from my hometown. And I, I grew up listening to John. He was on with uh, Danny Bonaducci on the radio. I, when I was in college, actually, some bar, the Spaghetti Bender, John Heffron actually was there doing our Greek week, doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> and so it was like John Heffron, sort of like a, a local legend guy. Oh, I know. You went with the Homer. I ain't mad at you. I went, yeah, I had to. I had to. I ain't mad at you. I love him. I'm just, I needed to come clean though. It's all good. So season three, season three is an interesting season. They rush it, right? And because they, oh, this is doing great. So like everything, they just try and jam another one down. And so they don't actually go to newbies. They just pull season one and season two best ofs together, which which you're a part of. So. How was that? Because now you're interacting with some of the, that fan. Okay, and all that. <laughs> right. So it was weird in the sense that they came to us about a month after season two. Now we're doing live stuff, but we're do, we're making great money and drawing big crowds because we just came off this TV show. And they said, hey, we want to do a season three, best of the best. And we're like, yeah, okay, we'll go back on TV. Now, from a TV standpoint, and this was Jay Moore had a big problem with them with doing this. They didn't promote it. So people watching weren't really, they were like, is this a continuation of the one from the summer or is this a different thing? Like if they had done better promotion, like, hey, this is an all-star show or something, maybe it would have done better. But anyway, yeah, it was just straight up head-to-head comedy with the 10 of us. 
Now, mind you, a lot of us knew each other. We're comics. Like, I knew Voss. I knew Ralphie. I knew different comics who were on the show. So it's not like we're total strangers, but we're playing the game. Yeah, we had to go week to week, round to round. I will say, I don't know if I was a favorite going in, but I saw it as I got to win this. Like, you know, I I just felt like I got a second chance. I'm going to win this thing. So that's how it started and that's how we went in. You win. You beat John Efron this time. Yes. In more ways than one, right? Because the reason I recapped his prize is because your prize. <laughs> that was the thing. So, and again, this was a Jay Moore thing, right? So Jay Moore, like they, they're negotiating this season three. And Jay told us, basically, he told the producers, look, the biggest loser gets a million bucks for losing weight. A comic, you got to give the best comic more money. So they bumped the winning prize up to 250 grand. So, uh, yeah, I did remind Heffron that I won five times as much money as him. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that, my friend, is show business. That had to have hurt. So the other thing that I was reading, which was interesting, was... So season three, they actually canceled just before your big win. As soon as they found out the black guy won, they canceled the whole right. thing. Right. So they're sitting around NBC. they like, we got a problem. What's the problem? The black guy's going to win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this ain't UPN. What the hell? <laughs> I am the unknown winner for that reason. They canceled the final episode. Uh, nobody really knows why, for sure. There, there were all kind of rumors as to why that they were given the time slot to... I think Spielberg had a TV show he was exec producing or the ratings were bad or whatever. Nobody knows. I, I always tell people when the suits cancel a show, it's not personal. Whoever was in some ivory tower at NBC that said cancel last comic standing, I promise you he has no idea who I am or my name or anything like that, right? But it was weird the way it happened because like I said, we're touring live. So we record the show on Tuesday. And people vote Tuesday night. Now, to your listeners, remember, this is before social media. There is no Facebook or Twitter or anything. And me and Hef always joke about how many MySpace friends we got when we did Last Comic Standing. Tens of thousands of MySpace friends. MySpace, for those who listen are listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Google it, kids. So anyway, so they do the voting Tuesday night. And then the following week, they would reveal the winner. So Wednesday comes and I'm back east somewhere. I'm on tour with Gary Goldman and Jay London. I get a call. I don't even know who it was from. But somebody said they canceled the show. And we were like, what? They said the show's canceled. And we're like, well, who won? They're like, they're not saying. Nobody knows. Like, okay. So that's Wednesday. So Thursday morning, Jay London comes to me. He says, you won. And I was like, what? He said, you won. Jay Moore said it on TV this morning. So what had happened was Wednesday, it was canceled. They brought it back. It was canceled again. Thursday, Jay is doing publicity for some comedy club. I think he was in Phoenix at the time. And he said, they're screwing around with Last Comic Standing. Alonzo Bowden won, right? So, so now I call the show and I'm like, did I win? And they won't confirm. I said, if I won, do I still get the money? And they're like, oh yeah, the winner still gets the money. I was like, I'm cool. I'm good. <laughs> then it did come out that I did win. And then Comedy Central used to re-air the show. It used to come on NBC on Tuesday and Comedy Central on Saturday. So Comedy Central was like, hey, we need a show. So we ended up shooting this 30-minute reveal episode to show that I won. But it had to be the most anticlimactic reality show finale in history because it was like everyone already knew that I won. So there's no way to build up anything and and everyone was over it i i will say nbc killed their own show when they did that because prior to that we were considered one of the a-list reality shows we used to get coverage every week in tv guide magazine look it up kids it's what we used to use all the um variety or whatever you know the entertainment stuff would cover last comic standing they the new usa today would always cover it and do profiles and stuff like that well when nbc canceled it when they brought it back, it never got the same publicity. It ne it was never the same after that. And a lot of people said, well, when NBC said screw the show, everyone else said screw the show. And then they changed the format every season and nobody really knew what was going on. That it, 
It was off the air for a couple of years. It came back. Uh, phenomenal comics have done the show. Amy Schumer did the show. She didn't win, but she became Amy Schumer, you know. Sure. Uh, Gabriel Iglesias, Fluffy. Eliza Schlesinger is probably the biggest winner as far as a winner whose career went, you know, Eliza's career is huge. But Felipe Esparza, he's done really well. John Reap, you know. So they're, they're, the other winners have been great and have done well, but it wasn't the same as when we did it. But the other winners had the benefit of doing it in the era of social media, which we didn't have. It's a whole different, a whole different world. Maybe someone will Google you on YouTube. <laughs> I'll take it. You know, people still remember that. It's funny now because now young comics will be like, I saw you win last comic when I was a kid. And I'm like, shut up, punk. Yeah, that's how long. I mean, it was 15 years ago. No, I had remembered you'd won. I definitely remembered you won. And then you would come back and then beat Heffron and then... Was there any drama in season two? You know what happened? Me and Hef have agreed to never compete in anything again. Because what he told me, and I had completely forgotten, but we also went up against each other on Star Search. When they had a new version of Star Search hosted by Arsenio Hall, this was like in 2002 or 2003, he and I went up against each other there. And I also won that one. So I beat him two out of three. We just agreed, no, no more competition. <laughs> well, it's funny. I just uh, interviewed a friend of mine, Horace H.B. Sanders. He was on, he won Star Search one of the, one of the years with Arsenio Hall. And what made me think of that is because your season three got canceled. And, and then, then you kind of came back, you won. And, you know, the, the, when he won, they were in the middle of his show and we went to war. And so they actually canceled the show. And or they had postponed That'll the show. That'll ruin your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, it was literally about to walk on stage. And they, the other guy had already gone. So it just kind of reminded me of that. That's funny. All right. So let's, let's talk about you have a new special on Amazon Prime, Heavy Lightweight. Yeah. So and now it's on all platforms. It was initially Amazon Prime. And then uh, after a year. It Now you can get it on iTunes and, and everywhere else. You know, what heavy lightweight came about because there's heavy topics and there's lightweight topics. And I wanted to talk about both because uh, Louis Black, who's a friend, mentor, whatever, he told me one day, I love Lou and I love all the political, topical stuff Lou did. And Lou said, listen, you can't beat him in the head all the time. You got to lighten it up. They They can't think that much. So he's like, you got to mix in the dick jokes. And I was like, gotcha. So, <laughs> so on that show, it was like, okay, let me talk about racism. Okay. Now I'm going to talk about yoga pants. Uh, let me talk about the Me Too movement. Now I'm going to talk about Taco Bell. So that's what the heavy lightweight was. It was let's go heavy to light to heavy to light. It's a great special. It's funny because you made, you made a joke in the beginning about talking about topical humor and well, was it going to be funny when it comes out? And then you're like, yeah, it's going to be funny when it comes out. And like, so I'm here. <laughs> and so here I am like listening to it, like, you know, a good year, but probably a good year and a half or so, at least between the time you recorded it and it showed up on Amazon originally. But, and I'm watching it and I'm like, it could have, you could have done it yesterday. I mean, it was just like, there's a timelessness to how you approach the material. Well, one of the great things is stupid stays stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> Kanye's never not going to be a punchline. Okay, there's never going to be a time where we're like, man, that Kanye West, now that's somebody. No, no, Kanye's always going to be funny. So things like that, you know, our, our dependence on Alexa and Siri, which I did a thing about, that's only grown since then. So in, in that respect, those kind of things are, are both topical and evergreen. And I learned that in the nineties, I had this bit about Daryl Strawberry and Daryl was nice enough to get arrested every two years to make the bit fresh again. I was like, thank you, Daryl. You've, you've extended this one eight years. <laughs> you know? So, so you find out that some topics are like that are unintentionally evergreen. And then other things, when you do topical comedy, it reminds people of what was going on back then. Right. So like, on my first special, Who's Paying Attention, I did this bit. Of, it was in 2008. It was a year Barack Obama got elected. And I had this joke about, imagine you're the first black president of the United States. And what's the first problem they hit you with? Pirates. Pirate. And you're like, I got to solve 15th century crime. And now when people hear that joke, they're like, that's right. He had, he had pirates to fight. You know, the Somali pirates and all that. 
So sometimes topical humor, just like a song will take you back to when you heard the song, the topical jokes will remind you of when that was in the news. And it was like, yeah, that was funny. That Or, yeah, I do remember that. So that that's how topical stays evergreen. To give you a great example of that, George Carlin, again, one of my idols, one of the legends, he said, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. How topical is that today? How, how, <laughs> I mean, is there anything else going on today than stupid people in large groups? You know, so yeah, it just, oh my God, yeah, there is a timelessness to it, which is very cool. So who's paying attention? Also, the name of your podcast? Well, who's paying attention goes back to my view of the media because, and again, remember, this started in 08, right? So we had like Sarah Palin. My problem with the media then and still now, it gives credibility to people who deserve none because it's entertainment. It's infotainment, as they call it. So my joke was, you know, if Walter Cronkite had to interview Sarah Palin, it would have been the quickest interview you ever heard. It would, what? Read a book. End of interview. <laughs> you know? So I, you know, the media historically is the fourth estate, right? And they're the ones who are supposed to keep an eye on things. They're supposed to be on both sides, making sure you tell the truth, calling bullshit when it is bullshit. And they stopped doing that long ago. So comics do it. We're the ones who tell the truth. And that's why I'm like, who's paying attention? It's us. It's comics. And the podcast started, I would go through the news articles behind the jokes. So if you listen to my humor, you'd be like, oh, that's what he was talking But then it just became a thing of my take on the week's news some serious, some funny, and it's just me talking. It's just stories I find interesting, funny, stupid, etc. cetera. Uh, I've done it. I've done a few interviews on it over the years, but I kind of like doing it myself. And I am absolutely surprised at the number of people who listen. I appreciate every one of them. I'm one of those listeners. Thank you. I subscribed. <laughs> so where can people keep up with you on the, on the socials? It's alonzobowden.com. Everything's my name. Instagram, I'm so funny, Z-O-F-U-N-N-Y, because, again, this goes back to when these things started, right? And everybody had this idea, I'm going to steal somebody's name, and then they got to buy it back from me. It's like, nah, I don't have to buy it back. I'll just change it. And I also found out how difficult it is to verify who you are with these sites. Like, you got to send in your ID, and it's, it's a big pain in the ass. But everything else, I just use Alonzo Bowden, and I tell people... Just Google Comic Alonzo. It's either going to be me or Christella Alonzo. And I think you can tell which one of us is which. <laughs> She's a short Mexican woman. <laughs> Maybe not short. Maybe an average height Mexican woman. I love I love Christella, by the way. Just super funny and a fellow Clippers fan. So we got that going Go on. Go Clippers. We were happy enough to unload Blake Griffin on you guys in Detroit. <laughs> here's, I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but here's a, here's some advice. You might want to check the knees on a used car before you buy one. Because we, yeah, we unloaded one on you there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, pass, I'll pass it along to the team owners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is fun. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. I had a great time, Jeff. It, it's all good. Anything comes up, you ever want to talk again, I'm here. If you want some dirt on Heffron, I'll, I'll have to look. It, he's he's a tough one to pin down. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll just find something and see if we can somehow ruin his reputation. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all right how great was that alonzo bowden ladies and gentlemen check out his special heavy lightweight i know it's on amazon prime and it sounds like it's other places as well also you can catch him on wait wait don't tell me on npr check out his website i'll put all these links in the show notes so when he comes to your town you can support live comedy and you can support alonzo bowden you won't regret it he's hilarious all right, as we get close to the end of the show, you know what time it is. That's right, it's time for the hashtag roundup trend of the week. That's right, that's where we dive deep into Twitter, find an amazing hashtag game that was played by the hashtag roundup community. You can follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup. You can download the free hashtag roundup app at Apple iTunes or Google Play Store. It's totally free. 
and you can play along on Twitter with us. And one day, one of your tweets may end up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. That's right. Fame and fortune awaits you. All you have to do is play along. Today's hashtag, bad airplane etiquette. That's right. Hashtag bad airplane etiquette brought to you originally by the cat funny Catterday hashtag game on hashtag roundup. We're going to talk about bad airplane etiquette, things you should never do on an airplane. Never play a game of spot the sky, Marshall, especially at the top of your lungs. Hey, I think that guy over there in the khaki shorts looks like he might have a gun. Don't go near him. Never bring a snake on the plane. Well, you can bring one snake, but don't bring a lot of snakes. Then you start to piss people off, especially Samuel L. Jackson. Never bring a leftover fish dish to eat on a plane. Never. Never bring a leftover fish dish anywhere. These are all hashtag bad airplane etiquette. Never critique the in-flight movie out loud during a flight. Oh my God, doesn't everybody die at the end of this? Why are we watching this? Never make a huge fuss about the gremlin on the wing. Excuse me, stewardess, there's a gremlin on the wing. I didn't know if I should mention it or not, but it didn't look like he actually paid for his ticket. Never ask the flight attendant, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Excuse me, ding, 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 are we there yet? Never play beer pong with the pilot, even if the winner gets to land the plane. Just don't do it. That's hashtag bad airplane (laughs) etiquette. (laughs) Never eat beans a few hours before boarding. Never do that. Never do that anytime in life. Never insist that vaping isn't the same as smoking and that it's okay to do it in the airplane bathroom. Never ask a pilot to take a breathalyzer test. That's the co-pilot's responsibility. Never recline your seat if you're in front of me. Don't recline your seat if you're on an airplane. If you do, you're a jerk. Never eat peanuts next to someone you shouldn't eat peanuts next to. Anyway, don't do that. Don't eat peanuts on a plane. Never call anyone Shirley. Am I being serious? Yes, I am. All right. Enough bad airplane etiquette fun for today. That was a fun game, and you play along with all the hashtag games on Hashtag Roundup, and you could end up on a future episode. I already said that. All right, well, can you believe it? We're at the end of this episode. Episode 40 has come and gone. Thank you to Alonzo Bowden. Thank you to all of you for coming back week after week after week. I can't thank you enough. I love being here. I love doing the show. Glad you're enjoying it, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.